Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Because that's it. No struggle, no swag. And that's it. Everybody wants swag, but are you willing to struggle for it? Yeah. But that's how you get it. You get it out of the struggle. People don't understand this. The struggle is when our latent abilities express itself. So if things are going smooth and there's nothing happening, when we're in our comfort zone, then we're not really going to learn as much as we will learn if we keep pushing that envelope in a compassionate way. Hello and welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Today we welcome George Mumford to the show. George is a globally recognized speaker, teacher, and coach. Since 1989, he's been honing his gentle but groundbreaking mindfulness techniques with people from locker rooms to boardrooms. Michael Jordan credits George with transforming his on-court leadership, helping the Bulls to six NBA championships. George has also worked with Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, and countless other NBA players, Olympians, executives, and artists. He's the author of The Mindful Athlete and most recently, Unlocked. In this episode, I talked to George Mumford about peak performance. How does one consistently perform at a high level? Whether it be work, sports, art, or any other craft, George believes that everyone has the potential to excel. To unlock greatness, he believes we must cultivate mental toughness and love and learn to stay in the flow state. In this episode, George talks about his experience coaching the Chicago Bulls how he helped the team thrive on and off the court. We also touch on the topics of mindfulness, resilience, forgiveness, and joy. It was very joyful chatting with George Mumford, and I know you will find it joyful as well. So without further ado, I bring you George Mumford. George Mumford! Welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Thank you. That was my like, that was like my Chicago Bulls intro right there. So yeah, welcome to the Psychology Podcast. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, a lot of people have been telling me very enthusiastically about how awesome you are. And after reading your books, I, I must say I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on your new one. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Is it true that you got a master's in counseling psychology? Yes, that is correct. 
Tell me a little bit about that, you know, how you got into that and, uh, you know, how you got interested in that. Because you, you left a career as a financial analyst, right? Yes, I left a career as a financial analyst. So when I got in the recovery, when I got clean, it's like I came out of the detox a, a different person. Everything was different. And so I, I got in. Well, I was actually reading before that, but I got into this. I was intellectually stimulated and I had mm-hmm. I was. I actually got into this um, program. It was a it was a cutting edge program. Uh, it was um, about stress management, and so it taught me about changing my lifestyle, specifically learning how to use meditation, and you know, just really taking personal responsibility for myself and being a part of my re- uh, of my of whatever it is, my recovery, my whatever took me to the physician's office. That instead of just going there and giving the physician, the physician or the doctor all the power, it was me being a partner and, and being more involved in it and taking responsibility for, you know, my experience and sharing my experience with, with the clinician so that we could really access, you know, really address what was, was happening. So when I got in this program, they had a syllabus. A books to read, like Pain is Motivator and, you know, M. Scott Peck. There was a ton of books. So I read all the books <laughs> on the syllabus. And then I went, uh, every book that I read, they had other books and I kept reading books. So I, I've averaged over a book a week for the last 39, coming up 38 and wow. eight years and 11 months. And I don't know, maybe 21 days. Damn. Not that I'm counting or anything, but I averaged <laughs> over a book a week. And wow. so I was doing all this stuff. Uh, you know, I was reading all these books and doing all this work, psychology, philosophy, religion. I was doing all of this reading and research and studying. Mm-hmm. And my friend John came over one day and he said, man, you're doing all that work. And he threw an application at me. It was Cambridge College. He said, you might as well matriculate. You might as well get credit for your work. So I filled out the application and I signed up for um, counseling psychology because I wanted to understand how people get motivated to do things they couldn't do before. In my case, yeah. how, why is it that I was able to, to, to uh, embrace my anxiety, uh, my, not my anxiety, but my addiction mm. and, and go into recovery. I was able to do what I wasn't able to do before. So I was very interested in motivation. And also I was working as I was training as a therapist, as a clinician, I started thinking about, especially working with people and with substances, they have, they have the gift for gab. They know how to tell you exactly what you want and then not do it. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to learn more about this idea of people who don't have integrity, which means people who don't walk their talk. How do I know mm-hmm. what to believe in? Do I believe what they say or do I believe what they do? Mm-hmm. And so, so I got very fascinated in learning how to communicate or be able to read people in the sense of, you know, be able to communicate with them. And that's when I discovered that 93% of communication is nonverbal. It's tonality and body language. So that's what got me in. It was my curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so that's what got me into it. And then, of course, I went to school for it. And then I was still working. And then when I quit my job, I contemplated going and getting my PhD but I realized that to do what I wanted to do, there was no degree for it. Mm. So I just started studying on my own. I love that. Yeah, you kind of carved your own pathway, uh, which combined it, or should we say integrated, a lots of your prior life as well. You were a student athlete, right? University of Massachusetts. 
Yeah, I played I played uh sports until high you know in high school and then in college. My freshman year I didn't play any sports. My sophomore year, that's when I decided basketball? to go out for the basketball team. Basketball. That's when I got injured and my career was pretty much over after that injury. Mm. Did you play on the court with Julius Irving? Yes. 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 We were roommates, but I met him my freshman year. Were you better than him at that point? <laughs> no, no, not even in the same category. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, there's some people who were basketball players, and you know, you know, he's a legend. Yeah. Then there's some people who were has beens. Yeah. And then there's people that were never was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the never was. You know, he never was. I had well, potential, but yeah. <laughs> didn't get to express it. Right. <laughs> we used to play a lot of pickup together. And of course, yeah. the, the plan was we were roommates was me to play for the team. Yeah. And so I went out for the team. I didn't make it. But gotcha. I still was very involved with the team in the sense of being his roommate. And when recruits came on campus, I would entertain them and stuff like that. So I still stayed involved. I just wasn't on the court like. Right. Yeah. So so that's the thing. So, yeah, we used to play pickup together and. And, you know, the only time I didn't play with him was when he was playing for the team because I wasn't on the team. Mm. But, you know, we used to barnstorm sometime, go to Connecticut, other places. He, myself, him and a couple other folks that we hung with, players that we hung with, we would play. But so, yeah, so I would play with him and against him when I was a f- sophomore and a freshman. That's so cool. Yeah. So then, you know, you had some injuries and that's what led to this addiction to pain medication and drugs, as you were just talking about. Well, I was injury prone even before I got to UMass, and so I was on Davon and other sorts of drugs. They didn't have they didn't have sports medicine in those days, and so there was something about my consciousness being altered where I was able to, yeah. you know, basically I was able to, you know, get out of my inhibitions. You know, there was mm-hmm. something about expanding consciousness, and you can do that through medication. And yeah. so, yeah, so but I was pretty much controlled, and even up until the last. Until I went in, into the detox, I was a, I was a functional uh, substance abuser. Mm. In other words, I still worked and I did things, but it had an impact on a lot of stuff and it prevented me from doing a lot of things. But uh, I was functional until I wasn't. Yeah. You know, this job, I mean, what a perfect job for you. You know, what you did um, as a mindfulness athletic coach. What would it be called? Sports psychologist? Thank you for asking because... There was really no title. No title. Yeah. There was no title. I mean, the closest I came to to what really expressed what I did was I was talking to my friend Bill Kennedy. We did executive coaching together. And he said, You're an ontological coach. Mm. And I said, Yeah, that sounds about right, but nobody would know what that meant. <laughs> and plus it's not a, it doesn't have any snaps. <laughs> you know, on, ontological coach, the study of being. Oh, okay. That's what you're doing. You're you're teaching people to access their potential and talk about the idea of being guilty of not expressing yourself fully or, or not actually developing your potential, but somehow finding ways of hiding out or escaping from your freedom. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's these books written, Escape from Freedom by Eric Fromm. And, oh, and one of my favorite books. It's one of my yes. favorite books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it was, yeah, so I, I kind of lost train. What were we talking about? I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, how, how did you, how did you, what, what are you called? What are you called? <laughs> what am I called? Yes. What's my handle? So I, I, back in 2019, I was doing something with the Milk and Global Com- Conference and they, they called me the performance whisperer. 
So I think oh, wow. that's probably more appropriate. But for my when my book, The Mindful Athlete Secrets to Pure Performance, came out five, eight years ago, and I was doing a lot of like what I'm doing now for Unlocked, going around talking to people and talking about my book. And what I realized was was that people were really interested in performance. And my definition of performance is obviously, you know, like the Denver Nuggets and the Joker, who is not a joke. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he, you know, you perform well, you, you, whatever you're doing, you do it at, at a high level mm-hmm. and you do it consistently at a high level or yeah. you would say elite performance or whatever. And so when I started talking to people, people want a great, like Joseph Campbell talked about in the power of myth, people want a sense of feeling fully alive. People want to show up. So meaning, you know, Victor Franco talked about meaning. Yeah. You can you can find meaning in three different ways, at least three ways. And first way is, is to, you know, to create something or do a, a good deed. Mm. And then the second way was to encounter someone or to experience something. Of course, he's talking about love there. Mm. And the third yes. way was taking a stance. And when you are confronted with unavoidable suffering, that you choose how to relate to it. So in this space between stimulus and response, you choose to relate to what's happening to you as, you know, it's, it's a lesson there and you, you bring grace and, and dignity to it and you, you choose how you want to relate to it. You, that's, that's your expression of freedom yeah. is when, you know, there's unavoidable suffering and you're willing to say yes to it, embrace it and to learn from it. And to to make it a turn a, a roadblock into a stepping stone. So I do all of that. So some people in some domains of personal organizational development consulting would work in the business domain or or executive coach or something like that. And in the sports arena, it was sports psychology consultant. Mm, there you go. And you know, in other places, it's just teacher, mm. just a teacher or, or a facilitator or a guide however you want to uh, frame it. So I would say teach is probably closer to what I do. I, I teach people about uh, being themselves. Uh, that's kind of what I do. What I do is I help people find themselves no matter where they are. And in my book, I talk about it being, um, you know, being unlocked, embrace your greatness, just find the flow, discover success. And so my my commitment is to help anybody at any time, at any place, unlock. Yes. It seems like your definition of greatness is one where you are being as uniquely you as possible. It, it doesn't sound like it's a very um, competitive form of greatness. Well, when you're competing at the high level, that's because you're, as Bruce Lee called it, he talked about martial arts as honestly expressing yourself. And so to the degree that you have an intention and you're able to uh, bring that intention into manifestation, in a way where you feel good and you feel like you you've you met your commitment and maybe then some, but you feel you know you really felt like you fully expressed yourself. That is that's a powerful thing. And, and once again, we go back to the existentialist, which I get a lot of my stuff from. And this in this sense is Soren Kierkegaard, and he said I forget how he said it, but something like a general form of despair or an you know a devastating form of despair is not being yourself. And so there's something, and when I say that, well, most of us don't know who we are or we have an idea, but we're, ever, we're, we're not things, we're not 
set points where events were always evolving and changing. And so the idea is to be yourself is to fully be able to express yourself, or might I say, having a fully integrated self. And this is, I'm going back to Eric Fromm now when he talks about this idea of spontaneity of one's own will. And you can only be spontaneous when you have a fully integrated self. You have to wait till then? <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. Do I have to wait that long? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that because nothing is permanent. Okay. So okay. there's moments of time when you, when you happen to be in alignment and you, you get into flow, you know, when you embrace your greatness. Can I, I can be spontaneous. Okay. And you get into flow. So let me remind us that an old digital clock, non-digital clock, is right twice a day. So even by accident, you're going to have a moment of being unlocked. But the challenge is, can you recognize it? And to the degree that we can recognize it and learn from it, we can replicate it or have that experience more often. But we have to be willing to use our self-awareness, our ability to observe uncritically, or some people would call it mindfulness. But it's really this idea of letting whatever speaks to us express itself in its own language. And there's something about when we're not pushing it away or pulling it towards us or spacing out or interpreting what it means before we get the full measure of the communication, once we can just be still and know, as they say, there's something about that when we can just watch, wait, with be alert and be relaxed at the same time. There's, there's a wisdom and uh, creativity that comes out of that silence, that ability to just, when we see clearly, then the action is clear. Mm. Does that make sense? Well, yes, it does. I, I like the uh, I like the idea that uh, of effortless effort, uh, which encapsulates what you're talking about. I'm going to read a quote from uh, the great George Mumford. When we are unlocked and in touch with the power within us, in touch with our true selves, we move in effortless synchronicity with the greater whole. Life moves in us and through us, which is what is going on all the time anyway, although we're not in touch with it, mindful of it, because our thinking process gets in the way. I think that quote encapsulates a lot. A lot. I just quoted you, but, but um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, a pretty. That's a, I like that. Who did who wrote that's that? Good. That's good. <laughs> that's some good shit right there. Yeah, that's you know that's how I say it. That's how I do it because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. When you're in flow, and I live in flow a lot, um, mm. and it's not brag or whatever. I'm just challenging myself. I'm comfortable being uncomfortable, and I'm I'm the best way to learn something is to teach it. So I'm interested in helping people unlock. And so that means I have to model that and I have to understand how to do that and to keep moving out of my comfort zone and expanding my, my potentiality or my capacity, however you want to look at it. But there's something that happens when we're challenged. And sometimes for us, some of us is when we're in extreme difficulty, excuse me, a life or death or in a sense of urgency, that our latent abilities have an, have the opportunity to express themselves. Hmm. And so it's only through adversity, you know, like if I, everything happened and I didn't have any struggles or I didn't have to deal with substance abuse or chronic pain or just get to a point where I want to understand, I want to pursue excellence and wisdom with grace and ease. The grace and ease wasn't always there, but now it's there. And, and that's when you're unlocked is you realize that less is more and you don't have to do anything. And once again, we talked about at the beginning of this, I was looking for my folder, my holder for my phone. I put together the phone in a home. So I called it uh, a folder instead of holder for the phone. <laughs> you know, it just kind of, it kind of happened. But, but when I, when I was looking for it and I couldn't find it, 
and I unlock once I let it go. There's something about unlocking when you let go. Yeah. And you don't try to make something happen. You allow it to happen. The effortless effort is just that I just formed the intention. Okay. I need to find my, you know, the phone holder mm. and then being okay with not being able to find it and saying, okay, let's just move, let's move on. And then as soon as I turn my head to move on, it, oh, here it is right here. And yeah, so we do that all the time. There's times when what's happening is we're locked up because we're wanting to do something so badly or using too much effort or too much, you know, you know, it's like we make it like a sense of urgency when it could be e it could be easily done or we can slow most slow is smooth, smooth is fast. So we have to understand that just by taking the extra time to to really understand and get a clear picture of what's going on, then the action is gonna be clear because we don't see something, then the action happens. They co-arise. So you see what I'm saying? And that's when it's the oh, effortless yeah. effort is when you're able to be open and just let things speak to you. And when you form the intention, you make an intention and then you allow it to happen. <laughs> yes. yes. You allow it. You're not trying to make it happen. But if you don't have the the ability to be uncomfortable or to have that cognitive dissonance, as we're talking in psychology, to be comfortable with the cognitive dissonance, to be comfortable with delaying gratification, when we're able to just be there yeah. and just allow things, then there's the effortless effort happens. But you, we train ourselves for that. It's not like it's happening and we didn't practice it. No, we got to practice. We got to keep developing and acquiring more skills, knowledge, and experience. And then, then when we do that, at least my experience is when you do that, then you get to a place where you start to see things. And even though you don't know what you're doing, you do it. <laughs> if that makes any yes. sense. Like yes. all the new stuff, like you go in and each, each checkout counter has a different way of being. And I find when I don't try to figure out, well, I'll put it, this has been my whole life thing. I'm, I'm one of those guys that, that directions is, is a problem sometimes, especially when I try to find my, find a place. But if I don't try to find a place, I find it. <laughs> now it's like so. I'm somehow I get out of my own way. I'm unlocked because I'm I'm not doing what I habitually do or saying okay, seeing it from from a narrow point of view out of fear, like oh I don't want to get lost or whether rather than just saying it's okay if I get lost, I'll find my way. It's it's not a problem when I can stay open and just allow it to happen. And then I learn from my mistakes. So you learn from the mistakes and then. Okay, what's the lesson? Okay. But a lot of this stuff, as you might imagine, you can't really, is what Joseph Campbell talked about, you know, you can't name it. Some of this stuff, you can't name it because it's it's, uh, nonlinear. It's beyond human resource. That's what Joseph Campbell would would call it. But there's these instincts, there's this information we have access to that you really can't, like quantum physics, you can't really, one minute is a wave and the next minute is a particle. But the consciousness and the intention has everything to do with collapsing it into a particle rather than being a wave of possibility, if that makes any sense. Yo, you're spouting some quantum physics over here. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I read about that as well. <laughs> it's like, but it makes sense. It makes sense to how to this idea, this idea that everything that ever happened or will happen already exists. Yeah. Yeah. So that you have to be, that's got to be the quantum field. Otherwise, you know, it says a, the, the wave of possibilities there, but how do you bring it into manifestation? How do you how do you uh, collapse the wave? The notion of that and potential is very interesting because we don't all have the same potentialities, but we don't know what they are until we really put in the work 
to see, you know, as well. Yes. Well, we all have our own conditioning. We have, we all have our raison d'entre or something that resonates with us that we could do that no one else can do. So we're unique in that sense. But unfortunately, everything we do, all of the schooling and instruction I got is one size fits all. It's very rare that you have somebody that says, okay, George, based on your conditioning, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. How did you get involved in like the 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 nineteen ninety eight was it Chicago Bulls team? Were you were you part of that? Yeah, I started working with them in nineteen ninety three. Ninety three. Okay, so how did you get that job? <laughs> well, that's a that's a great question. How I got it really? I was so just fast forwarding. So at some point, I left my my role as a financial analyst, and and then I ended up working. I got a grant with UMass Medical Center to teach mindfulness-based stress reduction to inmates in substance abuse units. And also we set up a satellite clinic on the other side of railroad tracks. And, you know, it was uh, in Worcester, not where the clinic was, but where we were the other side of railroad tracks where they didn't have a lot of resources. So I was involved there working at the, at the clinic and it was, uh, it was called the Stress Reduction Clinic in those days, but now they call it the Center for Mindfulness, or what's called when, when it, you know, as it evolved. And uh, John used to, uh, John and Saki, actually, they used to do, go to Omega Institute, which is in Rhinebeck, New York, and, and do a, like a, a mindfulness-based stress reduction course for clinicians. And at the same time, Phil Jackson used to uh, run this workshop called Beyond Basketball. And the whole intention of the workshop was was to raise money for one of his teammates for when he played for the uh, Knicks, Eddie Mass. He had had a heart attack, and so he was raising money for his family. So they were there together, so they got to know each other. And in 1993, after Phil won and the Bulls won the third championship in a row, Phil approached John about getting somebody to help him help the guys deal with the stress of success. So, so they, they, so when John talked to him about me and, and my relationship with Dr. J and being around the pro game before and coming from the same kind of neighborhoods, a lot of his players came from, it made sense that I would go into training camp. And that was my intention was to go in and help them deal with the stress of success. But by the time I got there, they were in full blown crisis because Michael Jordan had retired. Oh, so that was the beginning of our relationship, my relationship with Phil and and bringing contemplative style, mindfulness, if you will, a spiritual way of being that had to do with dealing with the whole person, not just seeing a basketball player like to shut up and dribble, but seeing a basketball player as a whole person and that you want that person to thrive not only on the court, but also but off the court. Wow. Well, didn't uh, he retire? It was 96. You said you've been there since 93. I was there 93 and then 98 is when they broke up everybody. We broke up the team. Right, right. But when did, when was his first retirement? Wasn't it like 96? Oh, maybe it was 93. Huh? Yeah. No, 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 no. He won. They won championship 91, 92, 93. The 94, 95. Didn't win oh. championship. Michael came back uh, in March of 95. I so see. then, ninety six, we won seventy two games out of eighty two. Damn. And then ninety seven and ninety eight, we won another three championships. And then Phil took a year off. And then when he signed up with the Lakers, 
he brought me along. And so then we won championships in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2000, I believe 2000, I want to say nine and 10. So how many fucking championships have you won? <laughs> I think that's the record for the NBA. No, 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 it's not the record. No, Phil has, Phil has 11 as a coach and two as a player. I have eight. I have eight. <laughs> I guess Phil does have the record. Yeah. Well, hold on, man. You have the record for being a mindfulness coach. Yeah, you you have the mindfulness sports coach record. <laughs> yeah, I have I have I have, I, I have uh, uh, five with the Lakers and three with the Bulls. Do you have rings? Do they give you rings? Uh, yes, they do give you rings sometimes. Wow. Rings. Because Michael but, Lewis, do you, do you, did you know Michael Lewis by any chance? The orthopedic surgeon uh, for the Bulls at that time. He was on my podcast. He showed me his rings. <laughs> Yeah, I probably know of him, but I, I was mostly with the coaches and with, uh, you know, not the surgeons, but the, the day-to-day people, mm, mm. Who, you know, like uh, the, the sports medicine guys like Chip Schaefer and okay. and the trainers and the coaches and some Tim of the Grover? Tim Grover? Tim Grover, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Okay, so you were like over there consoling Scotty Pippen when when Jordan was uh, retired. Did you help Pippen with mindfulness during that time? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was there. Yeah, I was there. And you, you there. did you literally you talk to Pippen? Yeah, I talked to everybody, the whole team. Yeah, That's when so when cool. he didn't, wouldn't go out on the court, what they yeah. talked about. The, so the last dance, they interviewed me for the last dance, but I wasn't on it. But they interviewed me for about an hour. But it was really there was a lot of transformation going on that didn't get captured in in that in the way it was expressed. But yeah, I was there for the for the for well. The tell me, <laughs> huh? tell us. This is your time to tell us about the trans. I'll interview you right now. <laughs> What's what was the transformation? The transformation was uh, learning how to how to respond to adversity in a way yeah. that a yeah. roadblock becomes a stepping stone. So cool. stepping stones and that sort of thing, but also how to how to unlock so that you're able to express yourself more, not only individually, but collectively, but it's coming from the premise that we have this masterpiece. We have this tremendous potential, unlimited potential inside of each one of us that can be accessed, that can be developed, but only you can develop it. It's an inside job. And to the degree that you develop it, that will be expressed in your ability to express yourself fully and creatively, individually or collectively. I have unlimited potential. I have unlimited potential. Really? You do. You have a masterpiece. What? You have a divine spark. I do. You have Buddha nature, Christ consciousness. We all have it. That That's the gift of our human birth, that we have this potentiality. But if you don't develop it, if you don't own it, if you don't embrace it, like I talk about in my book, then you won't be able to find the flow and you won't discover success on a high level consistently. Yeah. Look, my whole childhood was the Bulls, you know, during that time period. Mm-hmm. So it's so cool that you you had a front row seat to all of that. I remember a particular game that Jordan in the playoffs, he shot three straight three pointers, three pointers in a row, and he looked over at like Barkley, I think, or, or Matt Johnson, and he just goes like this, like he's in that that. And I show that as an example of the flow. Yeah, state that, that was against Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, you, were you there? You were there at the game? No, I wasn't there. Oh, that was before. Okay. That was the three before. Okay. But okay. the thing was, the interesting thing was, once he did this, yeah. he couldn't make it anymore. <laughs> oh, that's I. You're right. You're right. I never thought about that. Yeah. Well, this no, is no, what no. I study. When yeah. you're in flow, when you're in the zone, you can't. You got to block everybody out. You got to just 
keep yeah. making plays. But once you start saying, I don't, you start thinking about what are you doing? The thinking gets in the way. It stops the flow. Yes. I need to That's add that I, in my lesson. I teach that. Yeah, and I, I don't I've, seen, I've seen guys, I won't mention names, but I've seen mm-hmm. this one guy. I think he was playing, was he playing for the San Antonio Spurs? But he's he he's a North Carolina grad. I'll just say that I don't want to point him out. I think that's the same guy. And he was making a lot of threes and they kept interviewing him about it. And they they talked him right out of it. Mm. You see, it's a very delicate space. When you find the flow, you don't mm. have time to focus on other stuff. You just need to you need to stay locked in. I'll give you an example. So from nineteen ninety-six to two thousand and two, in that seven year period. Phil Jackson's teams won six six NBA championships in seven years. And the only year he didn't win was the year he took off. Mm. And I didn't realize it until I was years later when I started looking at it and I started thinking about, okay, so I have to come up with this. People want your experience, what, you, what you've what done and who you work with and that sort of thing. And when I looked at it, I said, wow, I, I never thought about it that way because mm. it was always once you win a championship, you celebrate for a little bit, but then you you have to let go and move to the next mm. next play, the next season, and you do it like that, and you stay in the moment. You don't remember, and you're not keeping score, really. Mm. Does that make sense? And it so does. that's why you make three in a row. You don't worry about it. You just keep making. You just keep just make the next play. No, it it's makes a lot of that. sense. Yeah, it's yeah. like this idea of being in the zone. It just it does seem to all all roads lead to like mindfulness or just being as fully present as possible in the moment. Yeah. yeah. So let me share a little secret with you. Uh oh. Uh, no, no. Let's do it. The only time you have is now. I know. Okay. And we say that, but we don't really act like we know what that means. To know and not to act is not to know. Okay. I know. So, in a moment, and I'll get I'll share another secret with you. Right now, and there's nothing wrong. Am I am I just fine the way I am? Right now, nothing wrong. Right now, right now. The only way it's not not right is your mind gets in it and starts thinking about the past or the future or what you don't have or what you're not able to do. I love that. I love that. Our mutual friend Sharon Salzberg would love that too. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's it. And so the only time you have is now. Hmm. And it's interesting. Uh, I'll share this because it, it came. This is it came out of I don't know where it came from, but I got interviewed. I think it was I think it was the Tim Ferriss and the Lewis House, the two podcasts I did, and they asked me something like, "What are three things I know, or what things are important?" And in both cases, I said, "The only time we have is now. Mm-hmm. The only person you can truly be is yourself, mm-hmm. and all you need is love." Mm-hmm. We could talk about this a long time because I think there's a lot of nuance here. It sounds like you're interpreting that kind of mental toughness, whatever we want to call that, that that they had. You're interpreting that as a form of love is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yes. Well, you have, that's why you have to love the game or you have to you have to be in love to be right. able because when you're in love, you label what you love and you love what you labor for. It's love of the work. It's love of the 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 process. It's love of life, really. Love, love. What did Jesus teach? He taught two things, at least my interpretation of Jesus, if we want to use him. Love everything and forgive everything and continual forgiveness. Mm. So another way of saying, like in basketball, you know, you just watch it. If the ball sticks, then it's a problem. The defense can deal on it. But if there's a player movement, ball movement, 
life is movement, it's flowing. So you got to keep it moving. So you can't get stuck on stuff. You got to be able to say, okay, this is it. Let it go and keep it going. Move to the next thing. Learn what you got to learn and then make the next play. Otherwise, what will happen, you see it all the time. Somebody doesn't get up. They get a, a controversial call against them and they're fighting and they're, they're still down the court, even though their body is up the court. And so they're not playing their man. They're not present. They've taken themselves out of the game. So you have to be able to have a short memory. Just let it go. Mentally note what you need to make. Then you got to make the next play. You got to reset, reboot, renew, begin again. You have to do that. A daily life, not just athletes, but us as individuals, moment to moment. That's how we unlock. You got to be you got to be able to let go to grow. You got to be able to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to be willing. And when you say love, we're talking about openness, just embracing, saying yes to everything. No matter what. Thank you for your clarification on how you come at it and your perception of it. Like for me, I've been pursuing excellence and wisdom for a long time, but I had mama mentality as well. And I was doing it without grace and ease. And I would tell you, I would tell you that because I know Kobe and we were really close. Mm. That mama mentality went from like with me being, you know, like just moving through and just pushing yourself and not being compassionate to yourself or others because you're just seeing, you know, you're just being tough, but you still care about the others to getting to the point where you realize that you can do it with grace and ease and you don't have to hate yeah. and you don't have to push yourself. You can sure. push yourself a certain amount and say, okay, I'm going to be more compassionate with myself. And then you'll be able to go further. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. So by doing it and with grace and ease, it becomes effortless. Yeah, we well, sure. You see what I'm saying? But there's a, there's this ability and in the process of doing it, yeah, you're going to cross over the line. But once you're mindful of crossing over the line and how you feel, how it affects you, then the next time you do it, you pull back. And then you, you bring more compassion, more love into it. But that is, that's a process of transformation. You understand what I'm saying? So you do things, and when you do things, it's going to be rough. It's going to be, you know, but then at some point when you after you've done many, many repetitions, you start to realize that slow is smooth and smooth is fast and slow motion gets you there quicker. Or if you allow it to happen, it happens quicker. And I had this conversation with Kobe, the mama mentality. Okay. He's going out there. He shoots a, a shot. It's like he's trying to score 35 points on one shot. Yeah. So all mm. I said to him was the best way to score is not to try to score. Mm. That's just bracing ease. Yes. And then he had 16 points in the first quarter. Now, if he's forcing it, he may get eight points, but it's, he's probably making a lot of turnovers and forcing things. But if he lets the game come to him, it, there's an efficiency. There's a flow that he gets into that allows him to do more because he's limiting himself by saying, OK, I want to score 32 points a game. So that means I got eight points each quarter. doesn't work like that. It has to work. It's nonlinear. It's not linear. When I mean nonlinear, that means one plus one equals six. That's the right brain. If you're if you're left if you're right-handed like me, in the left brain is one plus one equals two, and so you just you try to do it. But there's a rigidity and there's a locked inness about that versus being able to read and see the whole picture and just trust that in the moment, if you're paying attention, you'll see the opportunity and you'll you'll be way better off because it'll be effortless and you'll be more efficient and effective. So let me ask you a question. How does that apply to other domains of life? So like, how can you apply the mama mentality to like helping a relationship that's on the rocks or something like that? Yeah. Don't quit. Don't stop and mm. keep and keep looking for a solution. Keep making mistakes and correcting them and 
and and getting the feedback and continuing. Don't quit on it. Just saying, mm-hmm. okay, I it can be done. And so I'm going to commit to doing it. I'm full in. I'm all in. Mm. Yeah, my friend Krista Stryker, who I want to introduce you to someday, she's amazing. She's uh, working on this book about the idea of having, she says, with heart, but heart is uh, is putting your all into an athlete. She's an athlete. I definitely see where you're coming from, and I definitely see your perspective. Yeah, and once again, I'm not expecting you to believe what I'm saying. I'm just sharing my experience, strength, and hope. I'm not saying anything that's not out of my direct experience. Vice versa. I don't expect you to agree with me either. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But But I'm just saying... That that's what I'm saying is, yeah, we can disagree and whatever. And all I'm saying is, like, if you tell me something, I'm not going to say, yeah, I don't believe that. Probably going to say, well, I don't know about that, but I'm yeah. going to investigate. Exactly. I'm going to explore exactly. it. Curiosity. Curiosity. It's true. And that and that's what I'm saying. But, yeah, I don't want I don't want somebody to say yes, because I want you to have a direct experience of it. Once you have a direct experience of it, then you'll see for yourself. You won't have to take my word. Mm. But I'm just pointing. Can you uh, tell us a, what, a little bit about how this might relate to the idea of being breathed? That you talk about in your new book, Herigal's idea notion of being breathed. What I mean by being breathed is so this idea, we have this idea that we have to breathe consciously. It's like the ego wants to say it's doing everything. Mm. But when we go to sleep at night, uh, we seem to be okay breathing. Mm. So when you're being breathed, you notice that even though you're breathing it, if you just be still, you you'll notice that the your the breath has its own rhythm. And, and you're being breathed. It means that it's like it's like the effortless effort. It's like yeah. you do something, and then the muscle memory, and then it becomes a way of being where it just happens without you having to make it happen. So we have the idea that we have to make ourselves breathe, and by doing that, we actually disrupt the natural process of inhalation and exhalation, the breathing process. But if we can step back and observe it, we can see that the the, the breath happens. You know, just like just like on some level, uh, John John Capitan used to do this. If you hold your mouth in your nose and you don't breathe, yeah. When you take it off, you'll breathe. You don't <laughs> yeah, have to try. To breathe. That's true. You'll breathe, or if you breathe all the way out, then you'll breathe in automatically. Hmm. And if you breathe all the way in, then you're going to exhale automatically. But I'm talking about letting the each breath cycle. You'll have a sense of it where it's just happening without your having to make it happen. But we have to let go and we have to be willing to let it happen. That's the vulnerability that Brene Brown talks about. Vulnerability is power. Yes. What I love about your approach is you're in the sports world, but you're very being oriented. Yes. And uh, you say, I I really like this. You say, be a champion before you win a championship. So that is still very being oriented. You're saying be a champion. Being is what it's about. Yeah. The being. Yeah. Because we're being. So, I say to be a mindful athlete or be unlocked as an athlete, you got to be unlocked as a person mm. because your person and your athletics and your athlete are not uh, distinguishable. I mean, they're, they're both affecting each other. Mm. So we're being, so when I say being, that means just not doing so much, but just being. So if I want love, I have to be love. If I want peace, yes. I have to be peace. And if I want um, clarity, I have to be clear. So that's what I'm talking about. And so we're being, but we get stuck in the doing. So I was thinking about this playing the guitar. It's one thing if I'm playing the guitar because I'm emulating somebody else. It's another thing when I'm playing guitar because it's coming from inside of me. The music is inside of me is expressing itself and it's it's leading me to play a certain way or to do certain things. 
And we can do more of that when we can just notice that there's a there's a way that we, we can have more access to creativity, which is just being spontaneous or just letting the muse take you wherever it's going to take you. <laughs> and you just go with it instead of saying, stop. I, maybe the best way to talk about this is let's just say we're doing improv, improvisation. This is what I'm talking about, being spontaneous and being with life. So in improv, if you, if you, Scott, offer me something, yes. then I have to take it. And then from what you give, then I create off of that. Then we're flowing. Totally. But if you take something and I say no to it, it, it breaks the whole flow. It does. It does. So life is like an improvisation. Yes, it's and. Like, can we just see it and say yes, and? Yes, and. Do you know uh, yes. Kelly Leonard? Do you know Kelly Leonard at uh, Second City Improv? I don't know her. Uh, him. Him. But um, him. Yeah, I, him and his wife, Anne Libera, I need to introduce you to these two. They're, they're, they're leading the whole yes, and movement. You'd love them. You'd love yes, them. that's why I, I talk about, I do it at home with George every week. And mm. I begin the whole session with creating the possibility of saying yes to whatever comes up, embracing whatever comes up, and at the same time, generating hope. Mm. So that's the way to go is to say yes. And of course, Victor Franco, one of his latest books uh, that was released was Say Yes to Life. Yeah, yeah. So once again, it's out of the suffering that that we find peace and that we find seek we can seek to understand because there's an urgency there. And that's why I came up. I was working with this volleyball team once here. And I was trying to impart to them that they have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And they just weren't really feeling it. And finally, in my, uh, well, it was more aspiration, but I would say desperation, aspiration, whatever it was. I said, no struggle, no swag. Oh, yeah, I saw I that. I said, I got swag. I stro You got to struggle. This is a struggle moment here. These are struggle opportunities. And they start laughing. They loved it. Because yeah. I said, no struggle, no swag. Yes. And that's it. Everybody wants swag, but are you willing to struggle for it? Yeah. But that's how you get it. You get it out of the struggle. People don't understand this. The struggle is when our latent abilities express itself. So if things are going smooth and there's nothing happening, we're in that comfort zone, then we're not really going to learn as much as we will learn if we keep pushing that envelope yeah. in a compassionate way. You say the idea is not to go to heaven. It's to grow to heaven. Growth yes. takes a lot of struggle uh, often, right? Yes and no. Yes and. <laughs> yes and no. It yeah. depends on the situation and depends on your mindset and everything else. But here's the thing. If you see struggle as swag, then it won't be a problem. Mm. Mm. You'll be saying, okay, more of this. This is great. I'm learning. I'm growing, I'm evolving. I learn from my mistakes. So it's okay for me to make mistakes. Whereas somebody's trying not to make mistakes. And by not making mistakes, you're not growing, you're not evolving, you're safe. Like I like to say, uh, Joseph Campbell calls it a sarcophagus, a coffin. It's nice and, uh, you know, safe and in there, but you're stiff. Hmm. That's not life. There's no movement. What do you think of people these days treating all on the TikTok, treating all sorts of minor things as they're calling it traumas? I feel like this generation kind of views everything as a trauma now. I think words get co-opted. They do. And then people make them mean what they want them to mean. And that's why you can't go by the meaning of the word. You got to go by what the person means by that meaning of the word. Mm -hmm. And so, because, you know, I, I can tell you, 
uh, with my work with, with young folks and people in general. And there's times when I'll be working with coaches and whatever, and the student athlete or the athlete we're working with swears that they're working hard. And compared to, to my experience, compared to my definition of work, man, there was no hard work if it came up and bit them in the butt. Yeah. So that's the interpretation of it, yeah. but that's where they are. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, there's some things they did. Like when I, when I was taught how to swim, I was thrown in 12 feet of water. And I was on my own. Mm. Now they would call that child abuse now. Mm, but yeah. back in the day, that's what that's what they did. So everybody has their own level of pain or understanding. And so for them it might be traumatic mm. because maybe they don't have the foundation that you or I had mm. when we were growing up. So we have to listen to them and, and understand what they what do they mean by trauma? Yeah. They say it, but what do they mean? So you got to have a, they got to give you an ex example of what that, if they could give you an example, not that they have to, if they could give you an example of what that means and what they felt and what they were seeing, you might discover that, you know, you could, there's this old adage that, you know, there's, you see this thing on, you know, on a, in the grass or on the street and you think it's a snake mm. and you walk up on it and you realize it's just a rope, but right. you interpreted it and you saw it a certain way. So, I could say, well, I'm going to have trauma if I'm seeing the snake when it's just rope. Mm. But does it mean the trauma is not real? Yeah, it's real, but it's based on a faulty, um, a faulty perception. Mm. There's a part in your book that I and we'll kind of end here today on this uh, that I thought was really profound. You were working with this student athlete who said he wants to be like Kobe. He just kept saying, yeah. make me like Kobe. And you said, you, you know, you're like, okay, well, well, how about you try being yourself? And man, I thought that that dialogue was really powerful. Can you kind of uh, talk about that moment a little bit? Yes. I'll speak from my own experience. When I first started playing the guitar and all my friends, the, my brother and friends that play instruments, when you start playing something, you emulate the, the best or you try to play like so-and-so's playing. Mm. And then at some point, you got to make your own music. Mm. Ain't that Does right? that make sense? What, oh, what I'm saying? So, but it's but challenging. And, you know, if you look at Tiger, you look at the, the, the Williams sisters and there's probably other folks that at some point, that's why they have rituals. You know, Joseph Campbell talked about when the young man gets to be a certain age, he's got to go off in the woods and he's got to go through his vision quest or whatever. But we have to go from dependency to independency to interdependency. Mm. Does that make any sense? So there's an evolution yeah. that, that we have to go through and we have to figure it out on our own. But we start off emulating each other and, and having role models. But I would say, because I, I feel like I've been involved in the lineage, but yeah. if I call it that, when I room with Dr. J and I've seen his evolution, then I work with, with Michael, then I work with Kobe. Mm. And so I know that, that Dr. J, you know, his game, they used to call him Mini Hawk because Connie Hawkins had an impact because he had big hands. He played a certain way. And, mm. and so I think, you know, we stand on the, on the, on the shoulders of giants. Elgin Bell, I probably assume that Julius uh, learned from him as well. Or all of those, all of those forwards that, that was similar to him, you know, long reach, big hands and whatnot. That yeah, so I think that we start off emulating, and we have to understand how other people did it, but then we have to make it our own. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. Like, yeah, that's great. You can be like him, but you have to be like him based on who you are, your authentic expression, because authenticity of being real is really important. And that's because if we know we're not real, it's like fake it till you make it. You ain't going to make it because you know you're fake. But yeah, if you act as if now, that's something else. That's the being thing. If you want to, if you want to be a champion, you got to act like one. You got to think, feel, and behave like a champion and behave your way into it. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom there. You know, the commercial uh, "Be Like Mike." Maybe it should have been a different tagline, like "Be Like Mike in Your Own Style" <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, the thing is, well, that's interesting because I think what commercials do when they say "Be Like Mike," they're saying be successful, be like as good him, as Mike, be, be as good as Mike. Yeah. But you have to do it in your own way. But people want to emulate, or they want to see perfection, or they want to see what it feels like to be competing at an elite level. Now, now and then there's the trans, there's the trans, uh, how do you express that spirit of what he's doing? Not exactly what he's doing, but the spirit of what he's doing. How do you express that in your own hmm. way? And so you can look at, you know, I can look at Michael and, and say that, okay, here's somebody who got cut from his high school basketball team. Hmm. Now he did grow, but he, but by the time I saw him with the Bulls, he was playing as if he was trying to make the team. <laughs> so you can see you could take failure and it can end up being the launching pad for you to go to greatness yeah that's, that's what i'm that's that's what's possible for us but it's the mindset and it's saying okay i'm never going to get cut again and at the same time or i make a shot in the ncaa championship game and i i go from mike jordan to michael jordan mm. so it's it's how you interpret your experience and what i'm saying is we have this we have that be like Mike potential, but not exactly like him, but maybe in our own domain. And it might just be that we're the greatest husband or we're the greatest person working, doing what we're doing. But we're bringing that mentality of always trying to get better, always looking to to express ourselves more and to push that envelope. I'm going to leave here with uh, by quoting the great George Mumford. He says, Recover your true self, the masterpiece within, and bring it forth out into the world. Share it. That is how I live, and I invite you to live that way, too. Thank you, George Mumford, for being on my podcast and having this lively discussion with me. Uh, You're welcome, Scott. I appreciate being here, and and I love your questions. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm a a curious George. (laughs) I'm a curious George. Yeah, that's a good one. My godson (laughs) used to read Curious George. He just... just, he just graduated from um, from Brown with a PhD in in, uh, psych- in history. Oh. So maybe there's something about that curious George. <laughs> Congratulations to him. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you, George. Yes. Have a good one. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our YouTube page, The Psychology Podcast. We also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com.